Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I didn't speak in one scene all day because I just felt like when she did speak, it should feel like that feeling in your throat where you haven't spoken all day and it's weird to even hear your own voice. So I did do that for one scene. And my voice actually cracked. It didn't make it in the movie, but the feeling is still there in the scene where you, you're you so afraid to speak and trust your own voice at that point. And your voice is different than when you haven't spoken all day, yeah. hasn't warmed up, you know? There's like a lack of confidence in that tone. Hello, and welcome to The Awardist from Entertainment Weekly, taking you inside this year's top contenders for the Oscars and more of the industry's biggest awards. I'm Josh Rothkopf, EW's Senior Movies Editor, and I'm joined by Clarissa Cruz, EW's Executive Editor. Hi, Clarissa. Hi, Josh, and welcome to this very special episode of The Awardist. It's Oscar nominations morning. We've been up for hours. We've been up We've been up since four <laughs> we have been morning. Up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been a very, very much whirlwind of a morning. And today we did a Twitter space with special guests, awards editor Jared Hall and digital writer and awards expert Joey Nolfi. Uh, we are all very caffeinated and sleep deprived at the same time. <laughs> so um, it made for a very interesting conversation. Um, and we talked about all the big snubs and surprises uh, from this morning's nominations. So please enjoy. Hi, everyone. Jared Hall here from Entertainment Weekly. I'm our senior awards editor. Thanks so much for joining us. We are really excited to talk about this morning's Oscar nominations, uh, some surprises in there today, some some surprises that people were hoping were going to get nominated, but they were right on the cusp and they slid in uh, one person in particular who was uh, a front runner for a while and then started getting shut out. But she slid back in. We're excited to talk about that. Um, but also some of the snubs, some of those people who we um, again, they were on the cusp. It seemed like they were probably going to get nominated, but ultimately they didn't land a nomination. Very sad for some of those folks who uh, were very deserving. Uh, And then some um, big nominees today as well. Some folks who landed a lot of nominations. So we're going to be talking about that too. And uh, I see now Clarissa Cruz, our executive editor. She is here. Hey, Clarissa. Hi, how are you, Jared? I'm great. How are you (laughs) with this early morning for those of us in LA? I've, I've had lots of coffee. This has been a very exciting morning. Shockingly, I don't know how I haven't had any coffee yet, but uh, I, I'm going to be making that right after we're done here. Um, you and uh, our our senior movies editor, Joshua Rothkopf, and uh, Joey Nolfi, one of our fantastic writers here at EW, who uh, kind of eat, lives, and, and breathes awards and, and RuPaul's Drag Race when he's not dealing with RuPaul's Drag Race, but awards. Uh, you guys all season long have been uh, really in uh, the weeds with the Oscar race and a lot of these nominees today you've already had on our awardist podcast. Um, among those 
Is there um, who we've had on so far, like a favorite who you were kind of worried about whether they would get nominated? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Penelope Cruz, who who was a, was a really strong contender throughout, but you know, it just it just got a little bit quiet um, closer to noms, and I, I was I was worried for her. Um, I her performance in Parallel Mothers was fantastic and one of my favorites of the year, and I was just so pleasantly. Um, happy when um when i saw her name being called out for for best actress nomination so that that was one of them and she she was actually on our um on the podcast that aired yesterday so um so very good very good timing on that one <laughs> yeah yeah folks can go check that out um penelope teaming up uh yet again uh, on that movie with pedro almodovar um i mean they're just you know they're work together is always so stellar and um he has directed her to uh another great performance and now another um very worthy nomination so happy to see that um i know we're going to have some more folks joining us here but let's kind of go through the major headlines this morning Mm -hmm. the power of the dog uh has (laughs) some power over the film academy they uh awarded it with 12 nominations this morning the most of any movie that was followed by dune which scored 10 west side story and belfast both got seven and king richard netted six mm-hmm. get it yeah get it? netted tennis net. oh, 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 I oh see <laughs> i'm coming with the puns this morning clarissa wow. be ready <laughs> i was a little slow on the uptake because i've been up since 4 30 but um, i'm, that was, that I'm was gonna I'm going to serve you some puns <laughs> on this. Okay, that's enough. I will try to lob them back, but I don't know. <laughs> ah, I'm, I'm not there we go. <laughs> there we go. That's a good one. Um, yeah, so let's talk about The Power of the Dog. Yeah. This movie, wow. Jane Campion, oh, it's her first feature film in, uh, it's like a decade, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which, uh, I mean... Yeah, I don't no, know no, if, I, if it's it, going to it, take her another, you know, a decade in between movies for them to all be, you know, amazing like this, then that's fine. But uh, please exactly. welcome Joey Nolfi to the Yay, conversation Joey. as well. Hey, Joey, we just started in talking about um, uh, the power of the dog leading all nominees with 12. Uh, Jane Campion, it's been a decade uh, since her last feature film. Um, just uh, what an incredible film. And Clarissa, you, you were sorry about to say something before I cut you off there about Jane. No, no, no I mean, it was, it, it was just a great morning for Power of the Dog. I mean, when I heard <clears throat> Jesse Plemons' um, name in the supporting actor category, which was also a bit of a surprise, uh-huh. I knew that I knew that it was going to be a, a good morning for for that movie. I mean, it, it and it got so many nominations, well deserved. Um, I would have been shocked if if Jane and the movie weren't nominated for best oh, yeah. picture, um, respectively. And um, a historic nomination for Miss Jane. She is the mm-hmm. now, and we just put an article about this on EW.com. She is the only woman and oscars history with two best director nominations throughout her career which is just incredible it's incredible but i hate that that's a oh yes 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 no i don't be more but no but i know what you mean i mean yes that 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 is certainly to be celebrated but um we it should just be more of a regular thing there's so many 100 uh female Mm -hmm. directors we have another one uh her film not well she's nominated for screenplay uh and uh her film got best picture nomination um coda um so we have two best picture nominees directed by women um uh but anyway yes power of the dog i am kind of with you clarissa when um i think supporting act 
actor? Was that the first yeah. of the acting categories announced? And when they said Jesse, that's uh, I was uh, like looking down, writing down some things, and I kind of looked up. I was like, "Oh, this is going to be interesting." Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm thrilled for all of them, uh, and and I think supporting actor is the only acting category where we have um, co-stars nominated against each other because he's up against Cody Smith McPhee, who mm-hmm. by and large is considered uh, the front runner in this category. Um, uh, for reasons that I actually don't want to get into because it kind of spoils stuff. So, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. uh, I mean, did they see, I want to ask Joey this, did they steal it from, um, from the Belfast boys? Cause uh, people thought that they might be the ones, um, sort of sharing the, the supporting actor category here. Yeah, like if Jamie got in, well, mm-hmm. I think Jamie has, has been ever since SAG, I think Jamie has sort of been, um, you know, uh, on a downward trend. I think that Jamie was pretty much considered a long shot um, mm-hmm. after that. And then especially with BAFTA, I mean, it was, things were not looking good for Jamie, even though I do think that he is, um, you know, next to Katrina Balfe, probably the superior performance of the film. So uh, yeah, it's, it's really surprising. I do think that, I mean, technically, yes, I think that they probably took the places of, of, uh, or, you know, Jesse probably took the place of someone like Jamie, but I think Jesse probably took the place of, you know, not that he's not deserving, but I think he probably slid in there over, um, some of these other people that had been building buzz, um, at the beginning of the race, but then sort of tapered off at the end. So yes, I think Jesse is, is definitely one of the ones, um, who sort of snuck in there. JK as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, JK is the only other one here that sort of wasn't showing up at the precursors like Troy. Um, Kiar- How do you, I'm so sorry. How do you pronounce his name? I think Kiaran? it's Siren. Siren. Siren Hines and then Cody. Yes. The three of them were hitting every precursor, but then yeah. Jesse and JK are definitely the two that, that snuck in here for sure. Yeah. JK was the other one that uh, I, I perked up a bit with. Um, I, I was not expecting him at all. So very pleasant surprise there for the being the Ricardo's he always team. gets in. Yeah. yeah. He I mean, does. You love can, him. Yeah. The Academy I mean, loves him. Uh-huh. But I mean, can we talk about, I mean, well, the first of two major surprises <laughs> for Clarissa. I know you know what I'm going to say. I do. I do. Like, go, go on, Jack. Mr. Jared Leto <laughs> not showing up for my Italian-American pride here. I mean, I was just, ugh. I mean... Well, hey, at least he he did. (laughs) I mean, look, he did get nominated this week for something, not the award. Don't you say it. Don't you say it. The Razzie. Oh, my God. I mean, look, you take those for anything. But yeah, I mean, Jared, he was he was certainly one who was on the cusp. Um, yeah, it could have gone either way. Well, Unfortunately, it didn't go his way. I mean, the industry loves him and this is something yeah. that I was, and I don't want, and I, you know, I tease Clarissa a lot about this performance <laughs> and it's like, I know that, you know, as much as I love Jared Leto, this is definitely not my favorite Jared Leto performance. And I think a lot of the reaction on social media after the film mm-hmm. came out, it was definitely clear that like some people were either loving this performance or like mm-hmm. totally, you know, hating on it. And I think the one thing that I tried to make clear in a lot of my reporting on this was that regardless of how we feel about it or how other people feel about it, I mean, the industry loves Jared Leto. I mean, he got in for Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, and did he get the BAFTA 
last year for um oh for, for the, sag uh, oh yeah. sag for the for uh, what, what was that movie called where he played the i know exactly what was that movie called? the little things <laughs> or the littlest things or whatever yeah I no mean, no they, i know that and that's true i mean there, there is mm-hmm. a lot of academy love for him and, and the transformation that he had in gucci is just the kind of thing that that voters respond exactly to. yes um, so so i told i i do get it um but i you know it was just such a polarizing performance i i just i i like that he committed yeah, I mean, oh, it's, you know, he always does. Cool yeah. Performance. I mean, you don't pee on a Gucci scarf and not get people talking. I mean, he was. I mean, that is the kind of performance that makes people like literally jump up out of their seat and be like, "What the hell am I watching?" And I think that, yeah, maybe they just didn't take it as seriously as um, some of his other work. Yeah. For sure. Well, can, for sure. Can, can we talk about the uh, the other the other, <laughs> the other thoughts, thoughts, and, th- thoughts and prayers is what I told uh, you this morning. I, yeah. I got so many messages, like you know, condolences. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is just so. It's going I mean, to be equated to this year's. It's this year's equivalent of Jennifer Lopez not getting nominated for Hustlers. <laughs> I mean, but Gaga. The, the thing is, she was. I mean, Gaga was. I think that there are differences here because I started to think that too. I started to have my, you know, and my group texts all before the Oscars, like my last minute panic was like, okay, what if Gaga doesn't get in? But then I started thinking, you know, like Jennifer Lopez, yes, she is a huge bankable star. She was career best work in Hustlers. She Mm -hmm. was hitting every precursor, but there is still an element surrounding Jennifer Lopez's career where I feel like she doesn't have the respect in the industry that she deserves. And that I think is likely. And when we did our anonymous ballots that year, a lot of people, I asked a lot of them about, you know, if they voted for Jennifer Lopez or not. And a lot of them were like, no industry circles. They were like, we're not surprised because Mm -hmm. yes, these precursors that were voting for her were maybe voting based on just buzz coming out of Toronto and like, you know, picking up on what they were hearing what they thought they were supposed to do. But when it came time to put pen to paper and vote for a serious performance, they were like, a lot of these people still don't respect her the way that she deserves because she's a commercial star. Gaga has built up that sort of pedigree. I mean, she is, she has three Oscar nominations and one win. I mean, she's not somebody who's just coming in, you know, with her first nomination. So what I think happened here in the short time that I've had to process this is <laughs> I believe since Kristen Stewart got in, I think what happened was the narrative was so strongly built around Kristen Stewart being snubbed when she started not hitting all mm-hmm. of the precursors that everybody thought she would. And the headlines all became Kristen Stewart snubbed. Mm-hmm. I think, and Gaga was picking up every single precursor, which she's the only actor of the whole season to hit golden globes, critics choice, BAFTA and SAG. No other actor has done that this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people probably started to feel safe and comfortable in the fact mm-hmm. that Gaga was the front runner and the acting branch, which is the only branch that votes to determine nominees probably started thinking, okay, if Kristen Stewart is getting snubbed left and right and Gaga is hitting every precursor, where is my vote going to be most needed or more valuable? So I'm yeah. maybe mm-hmm. a big chunk of them said, I'm going to throw this vote to Kristen instead of Gaga because Kristen needs it more. So right. I think Think, uh, thinking and assuming that Gaga was a lock. Right. And I yeah. think that is yeah. exactly what ha- there's no other explanation for it. I mean, do you, you, don't- do you think that's what happened to Chris, uh, with Kristen and SAG? Because that was that was kind of a shocker. And I wonder if people, you know, they, they might have been thinking that Kristen was a lock. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And that could have happened. Others. Yeah. 
But yeah. I think the thing that is telling about that is that BAFTA didn't vote for her. So I think mm-hmm. I, I think that it's likely that that could have also happened. But I also just think that there is a real disdain for Spencer. I mean, outside yeah. of like the critical and journalist bubbles, a lot of people really just hate Spencer. And I don't know why. I think it's a brilliant film. I think that you learn more about, um, you, you know, you empathize with Princess Diana way more than you would uh, with just a standard biopic because you're feeling the anxiety. Like Pablo Lorraine and Kristen yeah. are sitting here making you feel the anxiety that Diana felt. So you're you're understanding more about her through an emotional and uh, connection than you are just reading a Wikipedia bio- um, biography. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of casual audiences and casual people in the industry just wanted a more standard stuffy British biopic. And that's right. not what was given to them. And they immediately turned themselves off of it. And I think it's a real disservice to the work that Kristen and Pablo did together, that they had to really like fight for this nomination when in yeah. any other year or, or in any other type of film, this performance, I mean, just would have been a lock throughout the whole season. Yeah. A lot of viewers, I think wanted the crown and the problem is we already right. have the crown. So exactly. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Why, why make and tell the same story? So yeah, I, I appreciate what they did there, but the big he- headline there is Kristen Stewart nominated for her first Oscar. Yes. Which we were preparing headlines to say Kristen Stewart snubbed and, uh, <laughs> you know, had to quickly delete and type, um, a new headline there. Um, yep. and we were thrilled, uh, right before you joined us, um, uh, uh, Clarissa talking about being thrilled that uh, Penelope Cruz got in there for Parallel Mothers uh, as well. So yes. it is, it's yes. an incredible category there. Jessica Chastain in the eyes of Tammy. My gosh, what a performance. That's my um, favorite performance of the year. Favorite yeah. performance. Olivia yeah. Coleman in The Lost Daughter. I, I mean, Olivia Coleman always delivers, but she just... What I love about her so much is she just makes you pay attention to everything she's doing and trying to figure out what she's thinking. I appreciate that so much about her. And then, uh, as I said, Penelope Cruz, Kristen Stewart, and then Nicole Kidman for being the Ricardos. This is going to be a tough one, you guys. I, I don't, I really don't know uh, yet where the Academy is going to go on this one, but um, it's, well, it's a yeah. great year for female performances. I will say that. And I see that Josh waited until after the Gaga conversation <laughs> yes. to join us. Out of, Josh out of respect, was like, out of respect for your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> thoughts and I knew that's why you did that, Josh. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. Yes, I'm accepting all thoughts and prayers right now. I reached out to Joey separately because I knew this would be a hard morning for him. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's allyship. Yeah, yes, that that's, is allyship. That was strange. Oh, and by the way, we should mention um, Olivia Coleman. And Jesse Buckley yes. uh, share a very rare um, feat that they uh, are nominated for playing the same character in the same movie in the same year, joining uh, Kate Winslet and Gloria Stewart for Titanic and Kate Winslet and Judy Dench for uh, uh, Iris. Uh, Iris. Iris. Thank you. Yes. I was going to say that, but I was like, that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, it's, uh, I, I was thrilled to see Jesse Buckley get in there as well. Uh, the, the, the surprise of the Jessies today, Plemons yes. and Buckley. Yes. I mean, as soon as, I mean, cause that was the first category announced. And as soon as they said, Jesse Buckley and Judy Dench. I just started cackling to myself right. out loud because I was like, this is going to be, be fun. chaos. Yeah. yeah, absolute chaos. Oh, Joey loves the chaos. 
I do. I love it. (laughs) I mean, there's got to be a little bit, something to keep us interested each year. Um, That that certainly helps. Dame Um, Judy. uh, I love her. It's her eighth career nomination. Did we already talk about the drive my car of it? We Uh, have not. We were about to get to that. Yeah. Because because that was something that Joey got right and excellently on his predictions. Thank you, Josh. Well, it's true. I mean, uh, we, we, you were anticipating drive my car to place. Well, and this is, it, it is significant that drive my car has four nominations this morning. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, which, which we called for adapted screenplay and for best director and also for obviously international film, but it's inclusion in the best film category, I think is a a show of strength, right? Yeah. That 10th slot was, I think throwing a lot of people, I think one through nine was pretty much everybody had sort of agreed on the one through nine, but it was that 10th slot. It was like, is it going to be, you know, lost daughter? Is it going to be driving my car? Tick, tick. Well, tick, tick, boom. I was including in the one through nine Mm -hmm. um, and my predictions, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And then the 10th slot I was like up in the air about, but yeah, tick, tick, boom was definitely like far from, I think a lock. Uh, But you know, it had been building buzz of course but yeah drive my car i mean that is just i mean what a feat for a movie that you know on the surface you don't think a lot of casual audiences are going to go for i mean it's a three hour film it's just (laughs) like i mean yeah but i think it really benefited from you know in this era of digital screeners and people are far more likely to watch a three-hour movie i think at home on a digital screener than they are to like go out to a theater to watch it so i think it and, and it's a great film so um that's the thing, too, is that everyone I know who I've recommended to, they start by saying, oh, it's three hours long. And then as soon as they see it, they stop saying that. Right. right. So yes. it flies when you watch it. But it mm-hmm. definitely had, I think you're right about home viewing helping it out. And now it's in a position with four nominations to make, perhaps tie the record that Parasite had. I doubt it's going to do that, obviously, but. <clears throat> yeah. Well, uh, th- huge congratulations to them. Um, uh, another movie that performed really well today, Belfast, uh, though one of the snubs that we need to talk about is Katrina <laughs> Balfe, who everyone yeah. considered a lock for an operation. Yeah. What do you think she- happened there? Do you think it, it was the category? Do you think it was the category? Because I know, you know, <laughs> when when she wasn't in supporting actress, uh, Joey had said, "Well, you know, maybe maybe it'll be in best actress as opposed as a right. supporting." But, um, but you know, what what do you think happened here? I don't know. I really. <laughs> this is one where I truly do not know what happened. Yeah. I mean, I can speculate on the Gaga snub and why that happened, but I truly don't know what happened here. Well, do you you think that it's a matter of if the if the voters are looking at, uh, you know, we're going to you know pick our supporting actress nominee from this movie Belfast that they eyes just went to Judy Dench and we're like, oh yeah, that Judy obviously she's great. I mean, it could be, it could be, uh, you know, that people are also looking at this and being like, okay, another black and white historical drama Mm. set in Europe. Like, okay, that's typical Academy fair. But I think when you watch Belfast, I mean, it really does have an electricity and a spark to it that separates it from other movies like that. So I think that the reason why this movie has succeeded is because people are watching it and loving it. And I'm just not sure as much as I love Judy Dench, 
I am just not sure how you can watch this movie and think that Judy Dench is the supporting actress play here and not Katrina Balfe. I mean, Katrina Balfe just gives the performance of her career right, in this it's really movie. her movie and, in so many ways. Yeah. yeah. But she felt like, like a lead. In a lot of ways, she felt like a lead. So that's, that's why I was wondering about the, yeah. the category because, because she, do, you know, she does have so much more screen time. Like Judy Dench, like, she fits that that traditional supporting actor yes. slot, and 100%. and so maybe maybe that that was that's why I think it might be a, an instance of category. Maybe yeah. do they yeah. do they have to designate the category and choose which category they want run in? So it might have been voters saying this is not a supporting performance. Yeah, she could have split and both. I yeah, actually that's a that's a statistic. I'm not sure that I I know of if they have to um, vote in the category that it's submitted in, or if they are allowed to. To shift it around. Uh, yeah, I'm actually yeah. not sure on that. Uh, me neither. And I, I do think that this might be an instance of voters saying or, or you know, maybe punishing it for some kind of category fraud, because this is the lead performance of the movie. I think. It is. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a brilliant lead performance in that. And let me just say that Katrina Balfe also, you know, touching my heartstrings here, she's playing a character <laughs> named Ma. Of course, <laughs> after the iconic any, any Spencer. Of Ma, yes. Really <laughs> yeah. Well, can we talk about another uh, uh, Best Picture nom- uh, nominee with uh, Don't Look Up? Yes. I, well, I know. I know. There, I know there's a feeling. I know there's a feeling here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a polarizing film! Oh my god! It's. Oh, I. I'll, I'll, I'll sit this one out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that. I think that everyone in Hollywood probably wants to make a movie like yes. "Don't Look Up." Not do they? This is, this is not to say that I, I. I do not like the film. I mean, I. I, I feel like making a big film that is ostensibly a satire about a serious subject with big stars mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah. so so in a, in a lot of ways it ticks off boxes in a producerial context yeah. yes. Like, yes yes and, and people want to be in business with adam mckay who's yep. very well liked but it, and i i was in, i was bracing for the screenplay nomination which yes. I, which was expected but I don't understand that. I mean, I don't understand the best picture inclusion on this. Um, I mean, well, to your point, Josh, that people want to be in business with Adam McKay. I feel like I've seen a lot of folks in the industry basically say that, like they watch the movie and they're like, oh, I, what I would do to be in this movie. You know what I mean? Like they want to, they want to be part of that kind of satirical world that he has done, you know, on an, an, now a number of occasions. And I think a lot of it plays into that. There, there's, there's, I think there is a lot of divide that this is very much a movie that Hollywood loves, but, but I don't think general audiences do as much. But yeah. I, on that note, though, I look at that and I think, who are the people who would support a movie like don't look up like yes josh like you're saying like from a producer standpoint yes like absolutely i can see that but i mean the curious thing here is that it got no acting nominations and i would have thought for sure that leonardo dicaprio would have been and you know as a past oscar winner someone who oscar loves so much would have gotten in if that was the case that actors are looking at this and being like okay this is the kind of movie that i want to be in that i want to be involved in i hope to work with adam mckay someday like how did leo at least knock it in i know he wasn't hitting major precursors but it's like that's still that still is is shocking to me. Leo's but, Leo's Leo's a shocking stuff, and so is Ariana Grande not making. Ugh. You know, 
I mean, I'm not a fan of the song, but I mean, she yeah. was widely considered to be one of the front runners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a, maybe at Billie Eilish levels. You know, it's, it's also, it, it speaks to this overarching point that critics and critical reaction to a film rarely has an effect on Oscar. And what it yeah. does, you know, and so, right. you know, critics, critics didn't like, don't look up and Netflix, I think very savvily turned that, that weaponized that discussion and the critics are out of touch and don't understand it. And they were able to keep that film in the yeah. conversation. And it's the same thing. And then the flip side of that coin is obviously critics did have an influence when it comes to something like drive my car, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it can't be just one thing or another. Yeah. Well, the one yeah. thing we can say about Don't Look Up is I'll just, you know, channel Miss Aretha Franklin and what she's <laughs> saying, you know, gowns, beautiful gowns. I will say editing, beautiful editing. I mean, Don't Look Up had uh, incredible yeah. editing. I mean, that nomination is so well deserved. I really yeah. came away from that film being like, okay, that editing is spot on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a couple just kind of like fun facts that I want to throw out to folks so that you can use it in your, um, if for anyone listening, you can throw it out in your, uh, you know, text groups today with your friends. Um, first of all, Beyonce got her first Oscar nomination today yes. in that best song category. Yes. Um, she was this close, by the way, to being nominated against her husband. Jay-Z was also, uh, <laughs> he had a song in contention, alas, yeah. that, uh, that did not happen. Um, Kenneth Branagh is now, uh, he holds the record for the most nominations, uh, in, in the most categories. He's now been nominated in seven different Mm -hmm. categories, um, which is, uh, quite a feat. He passes, uh, I believe it's Walt Disney, um, who previously held that record. So that's, uh, that's a really cool record to have good for him. Um, uh, there was another one that I just had that, um, I forgot about, but, um, also quickly not to put anyone on the spot here in in case you've seen it i would love for any of you to um, explain what is going on with this movie flea which was nominated in three different categories animated feature uh documentary and international feature film it's the same movie nominated in all three categories from denmark yeah first time that that has ever happened in oscars history uh it is i i mean it's hard to (laughs) it's like was this just a really great idea that they had from the beginning or was this film crafted to like sort of go after a feat like that because it really is such a strange thing that you couldn't have predicted it's like a documentary international feature animated movie like who thinks of this but i mean it's a really great story and i think that it's just the story at the center of this it's about an afghan refugee um retelling his story and it it, instead of actually showing you Uh, you know, documentary and archival footage of his life, you just hear his voice and uh, they have animators drawing his memories, essentially. So you're watching his memories as interpreted through, you know, the animation team. And it was funded by, I think, seven different countries. And yes, Denmark was the one country that submitted it for the Oscar. And here we are with it. Uh, This story just because it really is a simple film when you, you know, the structure of it. I mean, it's it's two people talking for most of the film and then just these animated sequences. So it's very simple at its core. Um, But I also think, you know, people like Riz Ahmed, who is a producer on this movie, pushing it along and on the campaign trail for it also helped it um, sort of give a a face to it. um, Yeah. Riz helping it. And also I think maybe just as a general complexion, the animation branch seems to be getting more adventurous over. Yes. 
Yes. Like uh-huh. the documentary branch, I expected this from, and they, they're, they're often choosing films that, that zig instead of zag. But mm-hmm. the animation branch used to be a kind of a rubber stamp, I feel, for a lot of Disney, Pixar content, whatever it is. And now I, we're seeing movies like Secret of Kells and all sorts of foreign animation making this bracket, which, which is another reason why I think it got that nomination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I remembered uh, the other fun fact one. Diane Warren scored her 13th. <laughs> <laughs> I, and she's I, gonna lose again. Her name I know I was going to uh, I was going to say I hate to say it, but I think it's going to be unlucky number 13, uh, 13th nomination there. Um, I mean, if I had to put money down right now on who wins the best original song category, I think I'm probably going to go with Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas. Yeah. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, though, by the way, if he wins, he will EGOT Uh with this win uh, for uh, his song from Encanto. So uh, that's that's going to be a fun one to keep an eye on as well. Yes, that's my I I mean, it is curious that they I mean, that that Bruno is not the song that they submitted there. Um, But I I actually think that. Well, now it's different because ever since, you know, there have been some surprising original song winners in recent years, um, like not to bring up Gaga again. But I mean, when Till It Happens to You didn't get the win there, a lot of people were confused by that. But I think it's because um, they only put at one point the song title and the film on the ballot. So you weren't seeing like Lady Gaga Till It Happens to You on the ballot when you were voting. So now I think that is changed. I, I think they mm-hmm. are putting the um, music and lyrics on the ballot. I could be mistaken on that. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe that that has changed. So if that has changed, that could influence, you know, who's winning in this category too. But I mean, I'm just glad that some love went to the Glenn Close door movie, as I call it, because she has some <laughs> amazing reactions closing the door on Myla Kunis in that film. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know it was called the Glenn Close door movie. But that's oh, funny. yes. Yes. It is the yeah. Glenn Close door movie. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Oh, gosh. Well, um, thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, Clarissa, Josh, Joey, thanks uh, to you guys for your time. And I'll see you on Slack. So given a a few hours extra time since the nominations this morning, Clarissa, do you have any other ideas about uh, surprises or snubs? Any more thoughts on this? Well, I was a little bit surprised. Um, I mean, it was on the bubble, so it's not. A, it wasn't a total shock, but it, I was also a little bit surprised by sort of the the A list snubs. Um, I'm thinking Ben Affleck and uh, Bradley Cooper in the supporting actor category. Mm-hmm. They were both nominated for SAG awards, so I, I so I thought at least one of them would get in, um, and so I was a bit surprised by that. Um, but there was, I think, an even bigger surprise in the director category um, with Denis Villeneuve, um, director of Dune. Um, what what did you think of that, Josh? Well, that that really that hurt me like uh, like Lady Gaga hurt Joey for sure. I mean, <laughs> I feel like the whole gamble of Dune, putting it in two films, is really down to Denis Villeneuve's vision, and he is the person who made that film happen. Obviously, every director is a is the prime visionary of a movie, you could say, but. But he, I mean, it, it, Dune got 10 nominations. The idea that it didn't get a nomination for its director is almost mystifying to me. And it's, I think it, it is an indication that directing, at least this year, based on the nominees that we have, is much more about directing performances and directing actors. And maybe Dune's performances didn't quite connect to the extent that they should have for people. I thought they were fine, especially Rebecca Ferguson. 
but I but I know that um, if you're talking about the directors that did make the cut, I mean, those are much more actor centric movies as opposed to these sort of epic visionary science fiction movies. Those movies need directing, too. And, uh, you know, one day I may, the, the good news, though, I guess the silver lining is that there will be a Dune part two. And maybe um, as what happened with The Lord of the Rings, there will be another opportunity to honor Denis then. Absolutely. Um, one person who did not get snubbed was uh, our podcast guest today, Kirsten Dunst, who was nominated for the very first, first time. It's hard to believe it's her first time um, for her amazing performance in The Power of the Dog. Um, Josh, you sat down with her. Is, is there anything you wanted to highlight from your conversation? Talking to Kirsten Dunst is, and that's something I've done before, is such a great thing because she's so casual and she's so fun. And you'll hear this in the conversation. She's she's very open about things. She talks a lot about the craft of acting and the tricks that she used. And she talks in this interview about scaring the horses with her yelling and, and, and uh, all sorts of fun kind of self-deprecating comments. I feel like I've just been such a fan of Kirsten Dunst for years. And the idea that she didn't get a nomination for movies like the Virgin Suicide or Marie Antoinette is, or or Bachelorette. Or Bachelorette. Yes, Don't know, forget Bachelorette. Right. <laughs> My favorite movie ever. It's just, it's, yeah. just it's, it's, it's it's shocking that she hasn't. But uh, you know, better to have this belated non than than none at all. Yeah, I, I think it's a very happy morning in the Dunst Plemons house household <laughs> um, because her husband Jesse Plemons also got nominated for his performance in Power of the Dog, and that was a bit of a surprise. So without further ado, we will get into Kirsten Dunst and her amazing interview with Josh. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Kirsten. Thanks for joining The Awardist. I want to just start by asking you a question about Jane Campion. I'm just going to assume that you are a fan of hers like we all are. So what is it like when Jane reaches out to an actor to be in a project of hers? Well, I was lucky enough that she reached out to me in my early 20s because she was a fan of The Virgin Suicides and Marie Antoinette. She loved Sophia's movies. Um, so she wrote me a letter about working together and workshopping this short story by Alice Monroe called The Runaway. So it never ended up happening, but it was always like, well, at least she, you know, thought of me. And then um, Jesse got offered the role first. And I was like, oh, you have to, you know, you have to do this. It's a right. movie. I love Top of the Lake too, you know, her most mm -hmm. recent work. I just loved it so much. And when the opportunity came my way, you know, it wasn't just like really a no brainer for any actress. Right. Absolutely. The character of Rose, I think, is so fascinating because there's like a very interesting slide into vulnerability that she does. Does she remind you of any of the other roles that you've played in your past? Hmm. I don't think so. I, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't think so. I think that's might be more of an something for someone on the outside to compare. Maybe I don't, mm -hmm. I, for me, I don't I didn't feel that way. 
uh, playing right. those. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. I only felt like I had to really magnify the feeling of, in, especially in that piano scene, of someone making you feel like you'll never reach your creative potential, which is something for all of us that will, if any type of art or, you know, certain jobs that make you feel, um, in any job really, like that can make you feel so terrible, terrible about yourself when someone trumps you with their artistry in such an easy and effortless way that you feel like you will never be the artist that you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, that that antagonism that you have with Benedict in that scene is just incredible. I mean, that's that is a oh, that, we didn't even work together in that scene. That's the <laughs> magic of movies, right there. You know, so you shot the, the you shot the pieces independently, and then Jane cut it together. Totally. Yes, he wasn't even wow. on that day. Wow! So wow! I know it's it's just that's that's movie making. You know, that's movie making. Yeah. That 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 whole sequence is like Hitchcock. I mean, there's such a ratcheting up of the tension. I have heard a little bit about. Um, how Benedict was in character uh, for much of the shoot. Yeah. I just wanted to get your point of view on this because when you're working with someone, that must be a hard thing. It wasn't because it kind of, it was great for the whole set. It was yeah. just great for the environment and whatever is good for an actor to do whatever they need to do to give the best performance is good for everybody. I think um, yeah. so us not talking made sense. We barely have any scenes anyway together in the film. And for someone like him, who's so kind and generous with his natural personality, he, I think it, Jane wanted to, gave him permission to just shut that part of himself off, which is not something that's easy for someone like him to do. So it was, I could see that it was, it, it was very good that, that he did that and that, she, you know, because it's, it's it's awkward to not be nice to people on set, not just not be yeah. court, you know, not even to be like, you know, good morning or, Hey, how was your weekend? Like he didn't have to do any of that. Cause he was Phil. So, you know, which is it's kind of great. So right. it helps your artistry. Mm -hmm. If I could ask, I hope this isn't prying, but have you ever made a request like that in terms of your own process? I maybe have asked for like less people in the room for a scene. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. See, for me, I think I'd be more uncomfortable not saying good morning. Because for some reason, for me, being in a room and not having everyone with me in a way, like in the scene, like would make me more in my head, maybe? I don't know. I, I feel like we're all on the set together in a way. Phil's in that very isolated character though. So maybe if I was playing someone really isolated, I did think about, I have a, I have to play a role. It's like not very, like not, if I had to play a role, it was like zero vanity. I'd be like, okay, let's like cover the mirrors in the hair and makeup trailer or cover the mirrors in your trailer. So you're not just like, cause it's very natural even on doing this to like glance over at yourself and be like, oh, my hair or, you know what I mean? It's just. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that if I was playing a character with like zero vanity, I would just maybe I would I've done tricks for myself. I just haven't um, not talked to everyone every day. I just haven't done that. Yeah, I didn't speak in one scene all day because I just felt like when she did speak, it would should feel like, oh, I've that feeling in your throat where you haven't spoken all day and it's weird to even hear your own voice. So I did do that for one scene. So I'll do right. little things for myself. 
That's really interesting as, as a question about process. So, and so when you finally spoke, it felt like an explosion almost, right? Well, I felt like, oh, I should, well, because I wasn't, and my voice actually cracked. It didn't make it in the movie, but the feeling is still there in the scene where you, you're so af- afraid to speak and trust your own voice at that point. And your voice is different than when you haven't spoken all day, yeah. hasn't warmed up, you know? Absolutely. There's like a lack of confidence in that tone. Obviously, we want to avoid spoilers for anyone who's watching this, but I do find that Rose is the kind of character that leaves me with a lot of questions. The film in general leaves me with a lot of questions, but I, I, but maybe obliquely, if I could ask you, especially pertaining to her prior husband and, and what may have happened to him and now what's happening now, is she somebody who's sort of compartmentalizing and keeping things out of the picture? Was that part of your your psychological study of this character? Mm, I actually, it's interesting that you said that about the late husband because she's a widow at the start of the film. Right. Cody, when I first met him, I said, I had this idea to, or I got this idea to have a secret with him so that we had a little creepiness together, a little bit of a weird, what's going on with this mother and son that they have this secret together, like some past that binds them Um, a tragedy, whatever it is that you feel that tension between them, that there's a secret or because when you meet them, you know, you see they're functioning at this inn, they run this inn together. Um, But there is a, there is a secret shared and it isn't from the book and it isn't in the film, but I guess I could say what the secret was. I, I just, in the book, my character's husband um, hangs himself and he's was like, he just really fell into alcoholism. That's why Rose is very against drinking. And, and so Cody and I thought, okay, well maybe we have the secret where you just let him do it. And you were in the house or like you somehow we had, we kept secret the fact that you might've partaken or let him do what he did, you know? Right. So that was our secret shared as mother and son in the film. I think that that's such a great idea, and and it, it definitely is. It's almost visible the fact that you two have done that work together off camera. Nobody knew that Jane didn't know it until recent. She's like, that didn't happen in the book. I was like, no, it didn't. It didn't. That's that's <laughs> called that's called improv. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you have secrets like that on. Yeah, it's, it's just good in general too. Whatever creates things that makes things more exciting and bubbles up anything inside of you that like makes things extra is what I think uh, is really helpful in, you know, scenes or with another actor. Does being in a country like New Zealand or locations like this help as well in terms of transporting you maybe in a literal sense to a, to a place? Yeah. When I looked at that landscape for Rose, it was just like, she's shipwrecked, you know, in the ocean. To me, it was just like, to Rose, it's like so suffocating and like so Mm -hmm. isolating. And, um, but to others, it's like the most beautiful place in the world. So, um, but yes, of course that really helped. We did all the exteriors first, which was a little bit difficult for me because I'd always just run out of the house, like screaming for my son. And it was just like a lot of that and big breaks, like, um, I don't work for a week. And then I'm like crying to the natives. And it, there was just like very, you know, my all my outside stuff is like bursting out of the house. So I felt a little like, oh, I don't know everybody yet. The crew, it's like, 
Hi, I'm Kirsten. Ah! <laughs> 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 um, I remember I scared the horses once and I, you know, I, the Wrangler came over and they're like, you know, you, you shouldn't be yelling near the horses because you frighten them and they could kick you. I was like, oh God, I didn't know that. So it's a lot of like, you know, it was, yeah, in the beginning, I just felt like the crazy witch of the house. You know what I mean? You know, but that is, that, that's very revealing, I think, because if, because you had to shoot the exteriors first, it, it's kind of suggests to me that Rose maybe is someone who's bursting to get out of the house, mm -hmm. right? right? And somebody who's, I mean, there's that searcher's composition with her framed in the doorway and this whole idea of, of her almost, almost being kept. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that you collected all of your, your exterior shots and they're all like, yeah. I think that, I think that, that that's revealing to me. It's kind of interesting. Mm. And then I understand that you had to break correct during the middle of COVID. Well, I mean, listen, I, we were, all of us were freaked out. Uh, obviously. I mean, yes, it was hard because I felt bad for Jane. I was like, Oh, she's not going to finish this movie. You know, I, I felt bad for her the most, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, obviously I've just worried about like, my family getting home and everyone being safe. And by the time we stopped in New Zealand, it was a little late to go home at that point. Like everybody was rushing to get home and I just didn't want to bring a two-year-old on a plane. We didn't know, none of us knew what this virus, you know, still, we still like are figuring this out. So we stayed for about a month in New Zealand and then we went home to LA. And then because Jacinda, the, their prime minister got New Zealand under control so quickly, the country allowed us to come in quarantine for two weeks under this like government supervision at this hotel with our son. And then we literally were done after the two weeks and went straight out to dinner, which was also so trippy. It's like, <laughs> I remember once there was a fire alarm in the hotel and we're like, Oh, we're outside. <laughs> so, <laughs> we marched us way too fast upstairs. I was like, hold on. Hold on. Okay. No, let me just enjoy this for a bit. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah we're on a street corner. <laughs> that is, but but that's really interesting. I, I inevitably, I think all of us as viewers, even the first audiences in Venice, approach the power of the dog through the prism of the pandemic, and that's obviously nothing that could have been planned or intended. But I wonder if all, all of us, having gone through this and survived this and and been changed by changed by this, do you think that because of that, we're closer to the ideas of the film? I mean, do you, do you think that maybe maybe we are, are more resonant and more receptive to some of these ideas? I do. I really do. And also the space in this filmmaking and being able to, you know, I, we do have a very cult, like a culture where we watch a lot of movies at home and then we reach for our phone and then, you know, you're looking up facts about the movie as you're watching the movie and these mm -hmm. things that, you know, I even have to stop myself sometimes. I'm like, don't look at your phone, like put your phone down. What are you doing? Um, so I do think this, because this movie's so isolating, especially my character, I mean, she's just, the worse she gets mentally, the more she just hangs in her bedroom in her pajamas, you know what I mean? Like drinking. So I'm sure there's people out there that can relate to that. I fully got pregnant, so I actually had to be healthy during the like part of it. Because, so, yeah, it's, it was, yeah, it was maddening for a lot of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also the idea of, um, I, I don't know if you did this, but I know that being contained with people in close spaces as we've had to be for so long, it really begins to make you question those relationships and what's important and what's valuable. 
Yeah, I'm lucky that I actually like, yeah, I we made a baby. We didn't get, you know, it's, some people got divorces. <laughs> some people made babies. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I remember because in my bubble, in our bubble was also my mother who lives down the street and she cook and like, I just remember us all cracking up over nothing, like all the time and just right. like, wow, we've all really lost it. We've lost it. Yeah. And it's <laughs> fine. And our son's fine. And he seems happy. And but yeah. Your relationship that your character has with Jesse's character is growing and changing over the course of the movie. And, and I wonder if, if I may ask what it's like for you to act with him now that you guys are married and has, has that changed over time? Is it fun playing a relationship that isn't quite alike to the real one you have? Um, well, any opportunity to work with Jesse, I will take. Right. As any actor would take. Yeah, yes. no, it's true. He's, yeah. I think, you know, to me, he's like the best actor of, you know, our generation. And I just, that I fell in love with him creatively first on Fargo. Like, oh, he's like, I love worked. We loved working with each other. We both felt that way, you know? And then um, it's funny because we didn't, we had some scenes together. We, it, you know what? It just, it's, it's so effortless working with him. So for me being together, even when we aren't working together, we always bounce each, you know, we always talk to each other about what we're working on or ideas and things. So it, it was, it's pretty effortless. Like the only thing that we had to play is like more being more reserved with each other, obviously. And it was a more old fashioned time, the way men and women were with each other. And so, but that's, you know, it's, that's mm -hmm. really it. I mean, to be honest, that scene on the top of the hill to me, I, I just, we just kind of had to make it as authentic as possible in a very natural way and not, it was interesting. I remember watching it for the first time in the theater and Jane turned up the intimacy of that scene and our voices so loud, which was so amazing because in a scene like that, someone would try and mix it in with the natural surroundings. And she really turned up the intimacy of our voices and, and that kind of made the scene too. And then Jesse has that beautiful line and I don't know, it's just very easy to act with him and um, yeah. to make things. It was, it's nice to already have that chemistry with someone and, and then to have that cemented and, film for us and our kids to see one day. And that's pretty, that's not normal. That's pretty special. So it, it definitely is special in it. And it, I mean, it just it, like you say, as, as a keepsake almost, but mm -hmm. I feel like Jane's, that's part of Jane's expertise and speciality is that is creating that kind of intimacy. And I think about movies like The Piano, but also Sweetie, so many of her movies where people are talking and it's almost like a little, a pool of intimacy, like a bubble that she's creating around them. It must be a special thing working with a director like that. Um, and we've been missing her films for so long. Mm -hmm. Do you remember any specific notes that Jane gave you about playing Rose that you could share with us? Um, well, when you were talking about the intimacy that's created on a set like that, I, I thought about Sophia. I thought about Lars because they also create like that feeling of security where, um, yeah, that quietness on a set or, I think that um, the hardest scene for me was probably creating that drunk, like on the couch and having to talk about 
her childhood and all that. We rehearsed that scene a lot. It almost felt like I was doing a play when we did that scene, just because it's so specific to like nail all the important beats, but then let it all go Mm -hmm. and be able to mess up and slur and try and make this feel natural. Um, So, but I'm trying to think if there's anything she just, I think, you just want a director that gives you the freedom to try things and isn't controlling and is supportive and shares their own feelings about what drew them to the work too. Like I remember Jane and she's talked about this, so I don't feel weird, you know, sharing this, but she had a nanny that like was really horrible to her and gaslit her like with food, with, with things that are just like horrendous. And so I really, I knew that was her, you know, way into Rose and her feelings um, towards Rose was that experience for her. Mm-hmm. So to to have that intimacy and to know about pe- your director's own struggles and really helps in in having a bond to like create together. I think like yeah, absolutely, I think that's important. I mean, I even yeah, working with other directors and they share about their depression or whatever it was. You the more you just like get to know someone and really are unafraid and and you're honest with each other, I think the better everything will be on set, even if those things are uncomfortable to talk about. That makes sense, and I feel like the the act of directing should be about sharing, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. not just the actors giving, it's the directors giving as well. Is there someone on the project that you worked with that you'd like to shout out to maybe a below the line crew member or somebody who really helped you get into the role of Rose? Hmm. Well, for me, it's Greta Seacat, my acting teacher that I work with. She's someone that I've worked with now since I was 27 and um, someone that kind of, I don't know, she just, she really helped me fulfill roles to their fullest potential in myself, I think, in a way that um, I didn't have before working with her. Also, I thought about Johnny Greenwood because I'd never met him or anything, but I listened to his music a lot when I was playing Rose. I listened to the mat- the soundtrack of There Will Be Blood a lot, mm. especially before my scene with the Native Americans, because I thought to myself, oh, well, he's going to be writing this music. Uh, having it inside me might help him too. You know what I mean? If I already have kind of his artistry helping me and my emotions, maybe it'll be good for him at the end of the day, but I've never told him that, or we haven't talked about that or anything. Yeah. And his music that he wrote, especially the motif that he created, I think for Rose is so heartbreaking, right? That detuned piano that we hear Mm -hmm. throughout the film. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 he's such a genius. It's such incredible music. Is there a role that you wish you could have played or a project that you wish you would have loved to have been in? Hmm. Well, I really wish I was back in the day with like Jenna Rollins and Cassavetes and could have been in one of their films. That would have been really like opening night or something. That would have been fun. I I just want to know what it was like on their sets. (laughs) So do I, right? (laughs) It was a lot of fun, actually. (laughs) I really, really want to thank you. Uh, for this time you you spent with me, and uh, this is a very these are really thoughtful answers. I really enjoy this film. Congratulations on the work. I'm I'm crazy about your performance in this film. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So thank you. That's really generous. I feel it deserves a lot of attention. So thank you for making it happen. Thank you for doing the performance, and thank you for the time you spent with us. Thank you so much.
A special thanks to Kirsten Dunst for sitting down with us today. Congratulations to you and also to Netflix. The film is available for streaming now. And that's all from us today. Thanks for joining us on this special Oscars nomination episode of The Awardist. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. To keep the conversation with us going, follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials at EW on Twitter and Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag us at ClarissaNYC1 and Josh Rothkoff. We'll see you next week. This episode of the Awardist Podcast is hosted by Clarissa Cruz and Josh Rothkoff. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Executive produced by Shana Krokmal. Edited and mixed by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.